Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And today, today, we have Office Space. This movie is iconic. Yes. And it's so it's so funny. And I could really, I don't know about you, but I could use a little levity at the moment. It's so true. I mean, we need to laugh. And this movie is so salient for oh, everything that is 90s. And early 2000s, oh, uh-huh. the ties just, are just out of this world. And the the whole Y2K thing. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they, like, made this movie knowing, okay, it comes out in February. It's really, it's only going to be relevant for, like, 10 months. Well, and that's, that's true for the Y2K. But, it, but it's so relevant <laughs> because it, okay. It's still so, so relevant. Personally, I am in an industrial organizational psychology class right now. Oh, can you hear my kitty? Okay, (laughs) he's going nuts. All right, sorry. (laughs) So in this class that where we deal with business psychology, basically the, the work that consultants do, we are studying all the phenomenon associated with motivation and workplace efficiency and all of that kind of stuff. And so as I'm watching this movie, I am laughing so hard because it's not the first time I've seen this movie. I know so many scenes by heart, but as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the last book I just read on burnout and I'm thinking about all of it, I was like, actually, it's such a timeless representation of organizations and behavior. Really from like, the 70s until now. True. At, at minimum, at minimum. I think it was harder to do things before the 70s. There was a, just a different level of handcraftedness that had to happen in a lot of ways. But, you know, as computers started to arrive into offices, that kind of changed the workplace culture. And this is... This would have been as true in the mid 80s and the late 90s and today. Absolutely. It's, just, it's so cool. And it's, I don't miss working in an office, but it kind of makes me miss like the n- normal, weird awfulness that is life when we're not working from home. I know what you mean. I, because honestly, I've been working from home for a lot of years now. I've had one of these right. very flex schedules. And actually, it's something that the millennials have kind of really taken to the forefront by saying, um, we're not going to live like that anymore. We're going to seek out other types of rewards and we're just going to have more control over our lives. And the pros are that we can arrange our life in a way that we can enjoy things and we can work when we need to or want to. And we just have a little bit more of that. We can be more relaxed in certain ways. But on the other hand, we also never stop working. We never clock out and just go home and have right. the rest of our life, you know? And um, so it's it's kind of a, a good and bad, but I totally love this way more than the idea of going to an office, doing a job I don't like. But there is, like you said, something beautiful about watching their friendship because they're always there and they can right. go to lunch and they can do all of that. So for that reason, I can see how there would be a little less isolation. Yeah, it's just like the, the normalcy of it. You go to work at a job you don't really like and that you're not passionate about and you make friends and commiserate with them and there's no going to work right now. Whether you normally work from home or you don't work from home, right? you're watching this and you're like, 
Oh, they get to go to work. <laughs> they get to go to work. So they go get to miserate together or whatever that word is. Cut that. Yeah. Slice that. What, is what am I trying to say? They get to commiserate together. But misery loves I'm leaving company. that in. I'm leaving miserate in because that's really Miserate. Funny. Yeah. What is, what is the word? I don't even know. This is see, brain mush. Yeah, that's that's fine. <laughs> Quarantine so brain. Same. As I mentioned, this movie came out in February of 1999, and it was a box office bomb. It did not do well. It had an estimated $10 million budget, which I don't know what they spent $10 million on. This does not look like a big budget. It really doesn't. Movie. I mean, it's got good production value, but... It it does, but it's not like... You know what I think it was? I think they spent that money on Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) Yes. Because they needed a big name. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) And it only made $4.2 million opening weekend. And the domestic gross was about ten point eight. So it made money, but not a lot. Not a lot. No, I mean, that's, I mean, in the money, in the money business, in the movie making (laughs) business, (laughs) I am also mushy. (laughs) Come on, people, miserate with us. (laughs) (laughs) It started playing on Comedy Central in August of 2001, and that's when it really took off. Well, as it should. Well, I mean, you know, people with home on the weekends from their job that they're, you know, miserating with their colleagues about. (laughs) Maybe smoking a little weed. I mean, (laughs) the characters, the lines... It's changed the vernacular. You know how friends kind of changed our vernacular and we started saying things like, could I be anymore? Whatever. And, you know, all (laughs) of this kind of stuff. Well, Office Space did the same thing with the, well, I'm just going to have to go ahead and, uh, or I'm just not going to (laughs) go. It's all from Office Space, y'all. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. And the way that she says it, the Mondays, oh. with her big sad face on. Hmm. Her fake sad face. It's awesome. Welcome to Accounts Payable. Just a moment. Oh, it's so funny. Oh. The sound of the oh. printer. Oh, Do you remember gosh. the sound of that printer? And it went back and forth. And yeah, it had the, and the little, little gears would turn. The little... Uh-huh. Yeah, it had as particular those little gears turning had a particular noise. Yes, and oh man, when they would not work right, you could hear it before you saw it, yep. and you're like, ah, no! you're running over there trying to get the 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 little track on the side of the pages back on the wheels, right? So that you don't have to start this whole thing over because exactly. you had to start the whole thing over, the whole thing over. It was craziness. There, there was no like print from page six. <laughs> it was start the whole thing over and hope that it didn't screw up on page six again. Can, can you believe we lived through that? It's amazing. I mean, it was amazing technology at the time, but wow, looking back and watching him like shut down his computer and seeing the C prompt come back up and that's when you know that you're good. The C prompt. Oh, oh my God. Okay. I, yes. I say we take a poll right now. Okay, right okay. now, people, if you know what we're talking about when we say C-prompt and gears on a printer, 
go ahead and uh -huh. post and say I know and tell us what it is because I, and if you Google it, I will know because because plagiarism. So <laughs> I want to know though. Do you know what we're talking about? Because yes. uh, it's it's important to me for some reason. Yes, and the places you can post, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, or if you don't like the social media, which I totally respect, though you should have it if you're going to be a business professional. But if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to use it for this, send me an email, killerfanpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Do it. Yeah. All right. All right. Christy, All right. are you ready to Let's, recap? I'm First, I want to talk about who's in this. Yes. We oh, talked about who's in this yet. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it was created by Mike Judge, who this was his first live action thing that he did. He'd been a, an engineer and then became an animator. And he created Beavis and Butthead, which was on MTV. And was so iconic in the nineties. And I think I think people expected something different from this when they heard it was created by Mike Judge. Maybe and so. that's maybe why it struggled in the theaters a little bit. But uh, he also did King of the Hill and then uh, he did a movie called Extract with Jason Bateman, which I hadn't heard of. But actually, it looks pretty like funny and interesting, and might be something we should consider covering in the future. Ooh, and, I will definitely um, like to watch that because I'm a Jason Bateman fan. Mike Judge is actually the restaurant manager, Jennifer Aniston's boss in this movie. So that was I thought that was kind of a fun cameo. He was basically playing Hank Hill if he managed yes. a restaurant and cared about flair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about flair that makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> All right. Ron Livingston was Peter. He's had lots and lots of uh, small parts in uh, TV and movie. He's had a bunch of like reoccurring roles in different television shows where he's like starred or been a regular cast member. Almost all of them, 20 or fewer episodes, which I think is just a shame. I mean, it gives him a chance to do a lot of different kinds of things, but not like a consistent thing. I right. Think that, I'd like to see I him more. Be awesome. Because yeah. he's great. Yeah. Then we have Jennifer Aniston as Joanna, obviously. Of course, she's best known as Rachel from Friends. And I loved her in Horrible Bosses, another one with Jason Bateman. It was, she was so funny as that awful dentist. And it was great. And then, you know, of course, recently she's been in the morning show on Apple TV Plus, and we covered her in the Clue update on Netflix of Murder Mystery. So that, that was great. It was really fun. Uh, David Herman plays Michael Bolton. He's done lots and lots of comedy and lots and lots of voice acting, notably King of the Hill with Mike Judge, a number of voices on Bob's Burgers. So a lot of voice acting there. Steven Root plays oh, Milton. He, he's unrecognizable right? in this I mean, movie as Milton. I, but, and what's funny is I think this is the movie that I really know him from first. Oh, really? So I have always pictured him that way and then had to like kind of recognize him in other roles. Like, oh, yeah, that's oh. Steven Root. It's so <laughs> funny because he's so serious at times. But he uh -huh. is such a goob. In this movie, oh it's so funny. Yeah. And, well, he was in News Radio, mm -hmm. which was a, like a comedy on, 
in the late 90s for like four years. And I loved news radio. It was great. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's the guy from news radio. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. And it just doesn't make any sense because he's a very different character in that. So that was kind of fun. Okay, so now I'm ready to recap it. Okay, now we're ready to recap. Now I've talked about, you know, those few people that are like you may have seen or heard other places. And really, there's a lot more in here you probably would recognize from other places. But I mean, it's a star-studded cast, really. I mean, it's just so solid. I mean, surely that's where the budget must have gone. Must have. And it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I got the DVD for this. I have actually had this DVD since like a long time, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. Me too. Well, like a long, long time. And so you put the DVD in in, and the splash screen for it is really fun. It looks like an old computer and it comes up with a system check and wants to scan the DVD for viruses. <laughs> And then it says, a virus has been detected once you click OK, because you have to click OK to move on to the next screen. And it's, a virus has been detected. Authorities are on their way. And I just thought it was so funny and so 1999 when this DVD came out. I mean, it's just, it's so funny. All right. So everyone starts their day being frustrated, finding their way to work. Peter is always in the slow lane of traffic. Michael is a gangster rap fan, but has a intense fear of the very non-threatening black man who's selling flowers on the corner. Yeah, it's, it's a fear, but it's also that shame of being a white man named Michael Bolton, who is straight up gangster rapping in his car. <laughs> and it's like, you just feel kind of like, that's like early appropriation, right? Like back yeah. in those days, that was like, oh, I feel stupid because I'm obviously like this white suburban cubicle worker. And I'm seriously rapping in my car. And it's kind of like that. You don't need to see well, me be that dorky. <laughs> well, and he turned the radio down, which speaks to that. Yeah. The appropriation had happened for a long time, but he's recognizing it. And that was kind of maybe new in 1999. But he also locks his door. He also locks his door. So it's a very, oh, it's such a poignant it, t- it, takes, it takes Mike Judge 10 seconds to tell you everything about this guy. Yes, yes. Everything salient that you need to know about this guy, you learn in a, such a short amount of time. It's amazing. It's such great storytelling. Uh, Samir just like pounds the tar of his steering wheel because he's mad. And then poor Milton's talking to himself while he sits on the bench at the bus stop. Peter is not excited to be at work, and it doesn't take us long to see why. There's a receptionist that sits very near him with a really annoying voice on the phone. It, it, though you did it earlier, <laughs> thank you for calling it a tick. Yeah. Just that, it's a lilting high voice. Payable, and- Lena speaking. Just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> you do it so much better than I do. I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> Uh, Milton won't turn his radio down and not one, not two, but three different bosses hassle Peter about the cover sheet for the TPS report. And the third one is my absolute favorite as much as, you know, I like bill the boss. 
And, you know, he's long. The third one is my favorite because they've set this joke up so well that it takes seven words to repeat the joke and make it so funny because they've set it up really well. And the seven words are Peter Gibbons. Yes, I have the memo. (laughs) It's genius. It's so great. It's It's so great. Oh, so Peter's friends, they're not any happier. Samir is annoyed with a malfunctioning fax machine and the American inability to pronounce his last name, Nani Anajad. Michael has a similar name frustration. He shares the name, but is no relation to, quote, the no talent ass clown, Michael Bolton. I think that's rich from the guy who likes the gangster rap, but can't admit it in front of the dude selling the flowers on the corner. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, so funny. It's just 930 in the morning, but Peter is ready to blow this popsicle stand and head to Tchotchke's for coffee. A co-worker, Peggy. And a server at the restaurant accused Peter of having a case of the Mondays. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is so good. I have my snort laugh. (laughs) I mean, just talking about it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can see it in my head. Oh, I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. Like, talking about it again, it's like, I'm just watching it. So, Michael... At, over coffee, boasts that he could write a computer program that would rip Inatech, their employer, off big time. But before he can really explain that, they realize why they're at tchotchkes. It's because Peter has this crush on the, a server, Joanna, Jennifer Aniston. She's beautiful. No wonder he has a crush. Long, always. gorgeous yeah, hair. She's always she's so pretty. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, but he can't ask her out because he's a girlfriend, Anne, and he thinks she's cheating on him. But he's he's still going to try and work it out. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why he felt the need to do that, but he did. And he's going to go see an occupational hypnotherapist with her at Anne's behest. She really wants him to... Be happy. I think she just wants him to be more successful. Likely. I don't think she gives two squats about his happiness that is a fair assessment absolutely <laughs> fair assessment mm-hmm. so the guys come back from their coffee and their co-worker tom runs outside and tells them that consultants are coming in to clean house and they talk about what they would do if they had a million dollars and co-worker tom would make a jump to conclusions matt i love this part with my whole being <laughs> I just, I love the look on his face as he delivers this, like, this whole idea to his friends. And I love the look on his friend's face as they're listening to this eight ball on a mat. And it's just... Stupidest thing they've ever heard. The whole scene is fabulous. It is. And it's just so dumb. But he's like, he's got a good point. He's like, if the guy who made the pet rock can make a lot of money, so can I. He is not wrong. We just... We just talked about a pet, you know, the pet rock being a kind of dumb invention when we talked about H.H. Holmes. Right. But but still, <laughs> uh, the cash came in because gag yeah. gifts make money. Novelties yes, are a thing. Do. 
Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And we learned that Peter never has an answer to this, what would you do if you had a million dollar question? He just doesn't have an answer. So Peter's apartment's not really much better than his job. It's cheap. And the walls are so thin that his neighbor Lawrence can hear everything uh, that he says. And they just pretend not to hear each other on a regular basis. And Peter says he probably can't go fishing because he's going to get asked to work. And Lawrence gives him some good advice about how not to have to work over the weekend. Duck out 15 minutes early because they always ask you at the end of the day. Right. And it's amazing to, to me that he hasn't thought of this yet. You know, yeah, that well. he hasn't thought. It's amazing to look at the the obliged commitment that these people have to this. Like they don't feel yeah. like they, they're still afraid of their bosses. They don't have that autonomy, which is why I think when the millennial generation came up and they were like, forget that, they were seen as so out of line and so arrogant. And there was probably a little swing too far the other way, likely, as as, as it happens when things finally change. Back in the 90s and the 80s and maybe even the early 2000s, people just didn't feel that freedom to be able to say, uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And and you can be right. mad at me, you know, whereas a millennial would be like, I'm sorry, uh, you pay me for 40 hours a week. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. If you want me for longer than that, you can adjust it. Right. Right. It's funny. Friday morning. We meet the consultants. It's the first of two Bobs who we're going to learn or meet. And we learned that the company would like uh, every employee to put the company first always. You don't say late 1990s wants you to put the company above yourself. Right? Is this good for the company? Is this good for the company? Oh, and by the way, next Friday, it's Hawaiian shirt Friday. <laughs> That's good, right? You like that, right? Yeah. Ah, the permission <laughs> to wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we see Milton on the phone. He's discussing his job dissatisfaction that someone's moved his desk and he can no longer see the married squirrels. Oh, I thought the it was squirrels. so funny. I could see the squirrels the married and they squirrels. were married. <laughs> <laughs> and the company switched to Boston staplers, but he kept his preferred swing line stapler because it doesn't bind up as much. And if they take it, he's going to set the building on fire. <laughs> So it's the end of the day. Peter's trying to duck out of work early and he's thwarted by a slow computer and asked to work not just Saturday, but Sunday as well. He's so defeated. So he goes to the occupational hypnotherapist with his girlfriend, Anne, literally the only time we see her in this entire movie. And it's so brief. Peter basically wants a lobotomy so that he can just like go through life not feeling sad yeah he asks he asks the guy if he can do something that makes him think that he's been out fishing all day when he comes home (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny and so the doctor dr swanson says he just needs to relax and so he tell he gets peter in this relaxed hypnotic state and says you'll come out of it when i snap my fingers and before dr swanson can snap his fingers he keels over and dies 
So it leaves Peter in this state of relaxation and not caring. Yeah, like a like a light hypnotism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on Saturday morning, Peter just opts to not get up with his alarm. His boss calls at 10 a.m., fussing at him that he's not there, and proceeds to call 17 more times. Like, he could just do the work. Right? I mean... Instead of calling 17 times. <laughs> and it's so funny because each message is so passive-aggressive in that way that only bosses from the 90s could really pull off that, yeah, I just wanted to let you know it's it's not like a half day or anything. We, uh, we're doing regular time, so... Yeah. And this was like at like 1 p.m., <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he not only calls Peter, but he calls Peter's girlfriend, Anne, and she calls and she's not worried about Peter. You'd think she'd be worried about Peter. She's not worried about Peter. Nope. She's angry. As she does. And she breaks up with him on his answering machine and confirms that she has indeed been cheating on him just as pretty much everybody suspected. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh, well. Good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Monday, Peter skips work and instead asks waitress Joanna to join him for lunch at a neighboring restaurant, which she does. Peter and Joanna discover a mutual hate of their jobs and a mutual love of Kung Fu Channel 39. Meanwhile, Tom, who actually likes his job, is defending it to the consultants. <laughs> This whole scene is so good. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. And you feel so bad for him because he actually likes his job. Well, yeah, because he doesn't have to do anything. Uh, well, he's, but he's got people skills, he's got- which are not evidence, are not <laughs> evidenced in his conversation. <laughs> he's got, and and the bobs are so funny because they're like, what is it that you say you do here? <laughs> I have the people skills. The engineers don't have the people skills. <laughs> He's like screaming at them. It's so funny. And Michael has to pretend to be a huge Michael Bolton fan to get in their good graces because they're making fun of him, but also saying how great Michael Bolton is. Right, right. So he has no choice but to fall in line. So the boss asks Milton to move his desk again and takes Milton's coveted swing line stapler and Milton mumbles again about setting the building on fire. Peter finally goes to work, but it's just to get his address book. And he's dressed super casually. And, oh, he's supposed to be in a meeting with the consultants. And he decides he's going to go. Yeah. He's going to be brutally honest with the Bobs, the two consultants, and reveal that the soul-sucking job ends up being about 15 minutes of real work a week. And there's really no motivation because the fear of getting fired only makes you work just hard enough to not get fired. Right. And he's not wrong. And he tells no, no. them about the eight bosses that he has yes. and the TPS reports, you know, and the uh-huh. consultants are over the moon. And what's so funny is this is so true to life. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So the consultants then meet with two of the bosses. Bill, whom we've seen before, and 
another one. And they reveal that Tom, who actually likes this job, is getting fired. Milton was laid off five years ago and has only been being paid by a glitch. And they fix the glitch. It'll work itself out. (laughs) Then they tell Bill, the boss, that they think Peter has upper management qualifications. He's got potential. When Bill tries to dispute this, they start talking about the TPS reports and asking Bill about his job, yeah, which he was not expecting was and is so funny. Such a great, great thing. Oh, my gosh. Peter dates Joanna. He disassembles his cubicle to give himself a window. He informs his boss that he won't be turning in those TPS reports after all. And, oh, he has a meeting with the Bobs now. Bill, not being able to intimidate Peter, has to intimidate somebody. So he goes to Milton and tells him to move his desk to storage B and dodges all the questions about his paycheck. Peter's with the Bobs, and at 45 minutes and four seconds, he has probably the most quoted line that I have ever heard from this movie. Hey, Peter, looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. (laughs) I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. Yes, it's, it's the, the best. gold standard it's the, of response. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> working hard or hardly working. Yep. I, I would, that that, that is just, it's so iconic. It's so iconic. I think it in my head sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it. I say it out loud sometimes. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've been missing it. Oh. The Bobs reveal that both Samir and Michael are going to be fired on Friday because studies show that there's less of a chance of a quote unquote incident. And Peter is getting a promotion. You know, Peter who hasn't been showing up to work. Peter, he's getting a promotion and his buddies who actually work are getting fired. So Peter asks for, he asks uh, Michael for an explanation of the virus that he previously mentioned in the restaurant. Okay. So when interest accrues on an account, which happens thousands of times a day it creates a little remainder and the virus would take that remainder that is beyond two decimal places and put it in a bank account rather than rounding it up or down peter says this sounds familiar and he's like oh yeah they did it in superman 3 and somebody did it in the 70s and he got caught (laughs) i'm like okay so it's not a new idea but Michael's pretty sure he can pull it off. Yeah. And 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 it was done in hackers. Yes, it was it was done in hackers. We'll get there. Peter says, "Well, so they check for this now, right?" And he's like, "No, everybody's so busy getting ready for Y2K that nobody checks for this." Peter with his promotion has access to the systems that would allow this virus to work. He gets a floppy disk from Michael and Samir, which they have cleverly named their virus, virus underscore C-D-E-F. It's fabulous. You're going to name you, you're going to name your virus virus. Yeah. Name it virus. It's just awesome. I everything about it. It's so funny. He installs it and, Michael and Samir are indeed fired and a little offended that they were escorted out of the building because they weren't going to steal anything anyway, you know, except for the money that they were stealing with the virus, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't going to take like office supplies. And 
Peter says, well, you didn't steal anything, but I did. And then the Ghetto Boys song, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster, plays while they beat the tar out of the fax machine that has given them nothing but trouble the entire movie. They end up going to a barbecue at laid off Tom's house because he was going to commit suicide, decided he loved his wife and couldn't do it, backed out of his garage and got hit by a drunk driver, which is awful, but he got a seven-figure settlement. So he literally is the, if you had a million dollars and didn't have to work, what would you do? Yep. He has made it and he is overjoyed about it. Oh, yes. He's got his prototype of his jump to conclusions, Matt. It's so awesome. Joanna and Peter argue. She's already annoyed with Peter and then ends up dramatically quitting her job when she gets hassled by her boss, Mike Judge, for about her flair. Because her flair is so stupid. This flair is just so dumb. Like, she's like, I'm wearing the minimum number of pieces. What more do you want from me? Basically, he tells her, I want you to want to wear it. Right. She's like, but it's stupid. He says, doesn't, don't you want to, don't you want to express yourself? You know? And this (laughs) is where she finally says, yes, yes, I do want to express myself. (laughs) It's so good. It's so funny. So Peter checks the account where over the weekend it should have accrued a few pennies. They should have seen a small growth in the account. And there's $305,000 in it. That is much, much too much. And Michael realizes he put the decimal in the wrong place. (laughs) He always messes up those, you know, mundane details. Uh, Yeah, that seems more like not such a mundane detail. At the office, it's the boss's birthday, Bill's birthday. He's only 41, by the way. He seems way older to me. You know what? People in the 90s and 80s, they seemed so much older at younger ages. I guess. I don't know. It's just weird. But Milton doesn't get a piece of cake. Again. Again. This is not this is not the first time he's not gotten a piece of cake. Our main guys, Peter, Michael, Smear, they're trying to figure out what they're gonna do with all this money because they don't feel like they can just give it back. So they look up money laundering in the dictionary and they realize that they're really out of their depth because <laughs> what dorkier thing is there than to look up money laundering in the dictionary? Dictionary. In the dictionary. <laughs> oh. A guy comes to the door and he claims to be a former cocaine addict. And now he's selling magazines and they think, well, maybe he knows how to launder money. Which is I don't the, know why the addict would know how to launder money. It would be the dealer that would know how to launder well, money. Well, and it'd be the bosses of the dealers. <laughs> it's just this is all true. around really, really dumb. <laughs> and then they learn that, no, he's really a former engineer at Inatrode, a competitor of Inatech, where the men work or used to work. And he just makes more money selling magazine subscriptions. And they realize they just, they suck at crime. They're not wrong. So Joanna ends up getting a job she likes better. Peter goes and tells her 
that he's going to confess to his crime. This is what they had argued about before that she's like, that's stealing and you shouldn't do that. And he was like, they're awful. I can steal from them. And they argued about it and kind of broke up ish. Ish. And, and he goes and tells her he's going to take the fall. And she says, well, I can make you happy in a way that a job can't. You don't, you know, you don't have to like your job. You can still be happy, which I think is kind of insightful. But also, that's a lot of pressure on her to make him happy. Yeah, it's one of those quick fixes that's not really a good long-term strategy. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It's the start of getting there. Yeah, and it works in a movie. And it does work in a movie. Yeah, a 21-year-old comedy. It works fine. So Peter's there and goes to talk to Bill and Bill's not in his office. So he slides a confession and the money under the door. And Milton really just wants a stapler back. He's got, he's down in storage B. He's just, he's got to have his good swing line stapler back. And he goes into the boss's office and the next Monday rolls around and Peter arrives at Inatech because he's sure Bill has seen the confession and found the money. He's ready to face the music. And what does he see when he arrives at Inatech? It's ablaze. It is just engulfed in flames along with his confession. A three alarm fire just <laughs> burned the ground. Just everything is destroyed. Peter finally ends up with a job that he likes. He's working construction with his neighbor, Lawrence. Michael and Samir get jobs at Inatrode, the competitor. Peter does not want to work there because he called it Penetrode <laughs> instead of Inatrode. <laughs> and the three wonder what happened to the money. They're like, do you just suppose all that money burned up? And they're like feeling a little bit bad about it. But... No, no, that money didn't burn up. Milton is at a lovely beach resort complaining to somebody about his cocktail. We know what happened to the money. We know what happened. We know. Going to set the place on fire. Roger Ebert really liked this movie. He gave it three stars. He said, Judge treats his characters a little like cartoon creatures. That works. Nuances of behavior are not necessary because in the cubicle world, every personality trait is magnified and the captives stagger forth like grotesques. It's like, that's <laughs> nice. awesome. That's awesome. I'm so glad he liked this movie that did so poorly in the, in the theater. Yeah. I, you know what? I wouldn't put it past him though, because he, he has a mind for what is really intelligent satire. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. this is a comedy, but it's a satire, and it makes a yes. point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and find out what is true in this movie. Is any of it true? Is there something true? What truths can we learn from it? Hey, I'm Stan. And I'm Drew. And we are your hosts of Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks is a fresh take on true crime podcasts. We are a father and son team from way back in the sticks of South Carolina. Yeah, in a town of less than 500. And we have a shared passion for all things true crime. So, every Saturday we get together and swap stories about a true crime event. We try and find the most twisted and vile losers of our human race. Now you won't hear a lot of endless banner on Bad and Boondocks. But what you will hear is all the unedited facts on the cases we choose. 
no matter how gory or troublesome they are. And you'll hear it all with a unique southern flair. And along the way, you'll hear just the right amount of discussion and jokes to keep you and us from completely losing your mind. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya, and CastBox. Or just go to badintheboondocks.com and download all of our episodes there. So, come on down to the boondocks and get your redneck on with us. We promise you'll have a good time. So, thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Is it true? It says at the very beginning of this film that Milton was a Mike Judge cartoon that preceded office space and that some of it was based on it and that is indeed true they aired on saturday night live in the mid 1990s which i don't remember i don't really remember them well at all no but i watched some of them and they're they're pretty funny it's a lot of it is like milton's speech is definitely like based on those shorts yeah I mean, it's, almost it's the whole of, movie seems to be really a Milton story because it's him. It's all about him <laughs> and what he ends up doing, you know, so it's yeah. kind of this interesting lens of a lens. Yeah, he's like the the backup of he's so integral to the story, but he's not forefront in it, which I think is such an interesting way to handle it. Right. So that bit is true. Why is that lane of traffic next to you always moving faster? It's got to be true, right? It is so it's true. Tr- it's so true. It's got to be true. Yeah, it's not really moving any faster. It's an optical illusion. When the cars next to you start moving, you see a lot of them go by you. When you're moving faster, you pass a bunch of cars and you don't realize how many cars you're passing. So it's really an optical illusion. Most of the time, stay in the lane. Stay in the lane that you're in unless you need to get over to get off because that lane, it's not really moving any faster. It just looks like it's moving faster. And what's but funny when you... is all the people who move, they're the traffic causers. Yes, that's exactly what I was just going to say. They're, you're actually causing the thing you're trying to avoid by changing lanes. Yep. And it's so yeah. funny to watch him because he's so mad. And, then he's, and we've all done it. Yes. We have all done yes. it. Oh, yeah, I've done it many times. And I really and I know better. (laughs) And I know I shouldn't do it. And yet, it's just something about it. Well, and, and yet I still think, well, there's got to be a stalled car in this lane. That's why I'm not moving. I should move over to the next lane. I always can justify it. I can try and make it I can rationalize it in some way, even though I know I should just stay where I am. So, in a tech and in a trode, uh, might be plays on words. Innovation and technology equals in a tech. So, it's innovation and technology. But it's also kind of a play on words. So, that innovation or that kind of word, it also, the in a kind of sounds like any. So, it could sound like any tech company or any electrode company. Yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a characterization, you know? Yeah. But there is an Inatech. That, that, oh, there, there is, and I have worked with them before. You have the fragrance people? No, the tech people, the safety people. Oh, 
Okay, if you look on the back of many of your devices, you're gonna see that they are safety certified by Inatech. What? Yeah, and so I used it when I had my Binky Bear company. I had I actually did my safety <gasps> certification testing through Inatech. And really? when you look on the back of a bunch of your devices, you're gonna go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. I know what that is, you know. But um, they're That's just a very so behind funny. the scenes. It's not like they're out there innovating, but they just they do all the safety testing. And um, yeah, they have two offices: huh. one in mainland China and one in Hong Kong. And I think one really? in Japan, maybe three offices. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one also in Clifton, New Jersey, that I found. Yeah. They support automation and in information integration solutions, but specifically for flavors and fragrances. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. But they weren't founded until after this movie was popular. There's nothing on their website that indicates that they're like fans of the movie, other than the fact that they say... Inatech has been serving the flavor and fragrance industry for more than 12 years with experience of over 150 men years. Nice. Which I thought was a really like way of saying, you know, our combined experience of all of our experts is 150 years, but they called it 150 man years. That's a, wow, that's special. That, that, that's special. That fits right in with this movie. It I thought. really does. <laughs> oh, see, I'm going to have to have, figure out where the Inatech in China is because I didn't know about that. I'm so glad you told me. <laughs> and that banking virus scheme, it can't really work, can it? That's not true. No, it really can't work. That's really the long and short of it. Film School Rejects did a whole article about if it would really work. Yeah. And basically they said you wouldn't get more than would like be able to fill an Amazon gift card modestly. And they pointed out that other films entrapment, I love you, Philip Morris and hackers, which you mentioned earlier also use the same plot device and it's got a particular name. It's called salami slicing. Salami so, slicing. Yeah. So Why? the, so if you were in a butcher and cutting salami you could cut off a little piece and it would not be noticed by the customer and eventually you'd cut off enough little pieces that you could make a whole new salami (laughs) and nobody would know the difference that's funny yeah so that's why they call it salami slicing. Um, and they also called it coin clipping in the past because coins used to actually be made of metals. That's what gave them their value was they were made of silver, or gold or copper or whatever. And they were completely that metal. And that's why U.S. currency has little ridges on the edges. So you can tell if the coins have been clipped because they would tip off cut off just a little bit of the metal and the money would still spend just fine. But you could, if you did it on enough coins, you could end up with a whole pile of silver, a whole pile of gold or copper or whatever the coins were made out of and basically cheat your way into a little bit more money. That seems like a whole lot of work. I feel like just get a job. (laughs) I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it seems like if you're standing at the till 
of a store anyway, and you're waiting for customers to come in, easy enough to, to while you're waiting around, just clip the edges off some coins and make yourself <laughs> a little few extra I bucks. I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, the only way this works, this virus works, is if the banks ever round down. If they round down and cut off a little bit, then that drops into another account. They would never have expected to have it, and it would be money that would be kind of just floating floating yeah and so yeah that's the only way that would work but what bank's gonna round down <laughs> no and that's basically it basically they the banks especially now tend to keep out they don't truncate the number and leave that that extra there that's what they would have to do that's what the software program would do it would tell it to truncate the money instead of rounding it but Banks typically keep their numbers out five to six decimals internally and do rounding. And there's just as much rounding up as there is rounding down. So it doesn't really work. And especially now it would work very little. It's not feasible, not realistic. It's not something that you could really do Really ever. Really ever. (laughs) It's never worked out for anybody. So, But... Certainly not now. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe it has worked out for somebody, but we just don't know about it because they haven't been caught. Maybe so. Maybe. I don't know. Our psychology break. <laughs> well, I don't know about occupational, but hypnotherapy is a thing. It is. It is. And it's it's not at all really like how it was portrayed in the movie. It wouldn't be a one and done situation. <laughs> Hypnotherapy is typically used in conjunction with other treatments. Right. You and don't it, just make an appointment to go get hypnotized. Yeah. Yeah. No. I have a friend and she did um, she did hypnotherapy to lose weight. Maybe about the time this movie came out, like in the late 90s. And she had a side effect that she also quit smoking, hmm. which was good for her. But... She didn't just lose weight because she listened to the tapes that they made for her for hypnotherapy. They also taught her nutrition. I mean, it was in conjunction with other parts of therapy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just hypnotherapy. Although I have to say the script that they used was an absolute representation of the real scripts. Um, sure. And I mean, it was shortened. But the that is uh-huh. the script. And so I, my professor mm. this semester actually does hypnotherapy. And oh. um, with all that's going on, he's really great. He decided he was going to do a relaxation thing in class. So um, oh, even cool. on Zoom, and he took us through the script. Now, the same script that you use for like a, a deep relaxation is the same script he would use for the uh, hypnotherapy session. And there's just one little section where he would kind of diverge and go a different path versus just continuing on the on the uh, relaxation path and it's it is very very similar and there is a certain cadence and rhythm to it and the way that he talks about it and um legitimately in the relaxation you can feel it where the whole idea is you become so relaxed that when you try to open your eyes your eyelids are so heavy that they don't open really so it's like you open your eyes with the internal muscles but your eyelids just don't go with it and that's how you can kind of know that you're starting to really be relaxed. Oh, that's you know, cool. Basically, you start to look high. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but and then when you come out of it, that when he brings you kind of out to that place and says, okay, now when you open, your eyelids will open, but you will feel more relaxed and you will feel ready to face, you know, what you have to do and blah, blah, blah. And so um, it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. That's fascinating. But really, you're you're in control. Yes. Uh, unlike unlike how you often see it portrayed in, you know, television and movies that you're being mind controlled. You have a choice as to whether or not you're participating. You have to participate. You have to be willing to (laughs) do the relaxation and do all of that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, done on a regular basis though. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend just not showing up for work if you were supposed to or whatnot, but (laughs) you should then start to feel that more relaxed, you know, sensation and be able to then have margin to look out and make decisions that are better. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to say yes to this or, you know, and it's, it's helpful. Super cool. All right. So what about the idea of the counselor asking you, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? Now, obviously, a million dollars now is different than having a million dollars. Even 20 years ago, I would say you might still have to work even if you have a million dollars because you're not going to make the kind of money you need to make even in interest, especially not now, um, not, not now. <laughs> to be able to live on it. But it's an interesting thing thought experiment, but there are more useful questions that a counselor might ask. Agreed. (laughs) So Psychology Today, Dr. Marty Nemco had a few suggestions. And I think this one's like, it's really similar, but I think it's a better question. If you didn't care what anyone thought, what would you do? Nice. I think that that's interesting. Like if you're not worried about being embarrassed or disappointing your family or whatever, what would you do? I think it also maybe gives you a little insight. Now, of course, you know, we talk about crime a lot. And so my first thought was, oh, that tells you a lot about somebody if they say, well, I would torture animals or I would hurt someone or (laughs) that's immediately (laughs) very dark path. (laughs) It's immediately where I went is down that dark path instead of saying, I'd rather be a stripper. Not that I would rather be a stripper, but I could see that being like an answer. I don't care. I'd like, I wouldn't mind being objectified or whatever, but you know, that's a very different, that's a very different path than. It's a very different path than I think most people would take, (laughs) but I can see why we would go there. Yeah. yeah. Because I wouldn't say it myself, but I would be uber curious about who would. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. If you were your twin, what advice would you give? So if you were your own sibling and you cared about them, what advice would you give them to do in this situation? That's an interesting Uh question. Right. Like you might Uh, tell yourself to do one thing because of your fears and anxieties. But if you had, if you could set those things aside and actually give advice to somebody whom you care about, that ignores is genuinely what's in their best interest and maybe ignores the condensation, not condensation that's getting (laughs) wet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The judgment of others. Words, 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 words. Um, No, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it ignores the, 
the personal guilt and shame, the emotions that you would have as an individual that would be, you know, kind of rooted in an obligation. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at somebody else, but a lot of times you don't know that person, but if they're your, if they're your twin, you would really know them so super well. And yet you could not have that obligation on their behalf. Right. Yes, exactly. I thought it was a really interesting question. And this one was really insightful too. If I were a genie who couldn't grant your wish, but could answer your question, what would your question be? Well, now that's an interesting thought. Uh You can't wish for money or more wishes or fame or power. You just want to have a question answered. What question would you ask? That's interesting thought, right? I don't know what my question would be. I would have to think about it. I don't know either because I feel I feel a little like Peter. You know, I would do nothing. <laughs> I would sit around all day and relax. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I am so aspirational. Uh-huh. I have so many things I want to do. And there are other times where I am just like, I just want to chill. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. You know, um, I oscillate kind of between those two extremes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not an emotional thing. It's really a, a motivational thing. Like, a, what do I want to do? Right. That's fair. Um, but it's, uh, but it's interesting because I, I mean, what question? It depends on whether I'm <laughs> uber aspirational uh-huh. or whether I'm trying to figure out how to be lazy and not be a poor citizen or family member. Right. You know? <laughs> like, and just be a derelict of my, <laughs> I mean, of my duty. Well, yeah, because if you're in the relaxed mood, you might be like which stock should I invest in and when to be able to make the most money so that I don't have to do anything I don't want to anymore. And then if you're feeling like motivated, what do I need to do to be successful? Right. Yeah. It's there's amazing. I need three questions from that genie. Thank you very much. I think so. I don't know what the third one would be, but, but don't ask it. Can I have three questions? Because that's your question. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> I bet you can't tell me how many questions I have. <laughs> That's not technically a question. That's a wager. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex Trebek would not be okay with that. All right. <laughs> All right, real life. What the heck is a TBS report anyway? <laughs> But that the sound of TPS report, I just lose it. It's just so funny. I can't. I can't even. <sighs> well, within okay, the I'm back. realm of the movie, it really just means mundane, busy work. It's really, something you have to do, but isn't really all that valuable. But Mike Judge told Rolling Stone, "When I was an engineer, it stood for test program set." Isn't that exciting? A test program set is a document describing the step-by-step process in which an engineer tests and retests software or an electronics system. Yeah, it's kind of boring. You're testing yeah, that's boring. things that have already been done. But it can also refer to a testing procedure specification, which is you know a similar tedious sort of documentation. I mean, the way that I always felt like it was in the movie, because it seems like something that they have to do a lot, mm-hmm. was I always thought of it in my head as the progress statement report. Yeah. As in, like, this is what I did today. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And so that there was always a catalog of your taskings, you know? And that's how it feels because they're just so like, oh, can I tell them everything I've done? Why don't they just look at my work, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, anyway. So I wondered how uh, Michael Bolton felt about being lampooned in this movie. <laughs> Also in Rolling Stone, he said, Michael Bolton, the real Michael Bolton, the Grammy winning Michael Bolton. What do you do when someone knocks you when you've been nominated for Grammys best film male vocal? He had to point that out four times when when you're looked at with respect in the industry, when you write with Bob Dylan, Joe Cocker, Kanye West. The answer is you don't have to be insecure about ever being a no talent anything you're light years beyond that possibility but i'll admit sometimes i am a clown just like, <laughs> okay and then in 2015 he did he recreated some of these scenes as michael bolton in the film michael <gasps> bolton no. it's hilarious it's so funny oh my god oh my I'm, gosh I'm, i can't believe this exists oh my it's so funny it's I'm put it on the social media. Go find it. It's so great. I'll send it to you before then, because okay, you know. Okay, I I, I am definitely gonna need to watch. It's that. so hilarious. Oh, I just I couldn't. I was like, no, no, he didn't. Oh yes, he did, and it is glorious, glorious. <laughs> Fifteen minutes of work during a week, along with long lunches and not just showing up. That's a time theft. I think that's a very extreme example of time theft. I think so. (laughs) Long lunches and extended breaks are considered time theft. Also unauthorized socializing. So spending more than a few minutes over a cup of coffee, talking with somebody about things that aren't work related might be an issue. Misusing paid leave. So using a paid time off for a mental health day might be okay, but calling out sick because you don't want to go to a particular meeting is not acceptable. And then excessive personal time where you're just doing things that aren't work-related, like, I don't know, cleaning a fish on your desk at work. (laughs) That might be it. On top of all the reports. (laughs) And um, there was one comment on this article on uh, Gen 20 that did say, this is true and stealing is wrong, but there are downtimes where you may not have as much work, but you still need to be there. And sometimes doing personal interaction during those times actually can help you be more productive by allowing you to have a better relationship with your coworkers. It's true. I mean, we can't downplay the importance of availability. Right. You know, being available. And, and, you know, not every job allows a person to be as proactive as they might could be, which is a whole nother slew of discussions. But, you know, a lot of people work in an environment where it's fully reactive work. Mm -hmm. And, And that's fine, you know, but that means if there's nothing to react to, you're being paid to be on call for whatever's going to come up when. Right. And, you know, that's part of what the 
millennial generation into the Gen Z has really spearheaded this idea of how do I use my on-call time? Mm -hmm. And do I need to be sitting in an office and waiting there for that? Or is this something that I could be doing other things and then be able to be trusted to turn my attention to the reactive work as necessary? And if I'm doing something in that time where I'm on call and available, maybe I'll find new ways to be proactive right? and to set forth some sort of process that might make me even better at being reactive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we study that and get more into it and understand what people want out of it. But some people work better if they're available by being at a desk or being at the water cooler. And other people work better if they just are able to be home and do whatever. Right. But yeah, that that availability. I remember when my kids were, you know, a little younger and I remember sitting around and not being able to do anything because if I got into something, I would inevitably be pulled out of it and whatever I got into would take my attention off of their safety too much. But I sat there feeling like I was being so unproductive because I was just sitting around while they played. Yeah. And then it hit me that what I'm doing right there was being available for them and that that would mean the world. And I remember the times that like my parents were available or that a boss has just been available. Right. Availability is something I don't think we talk about enough. That's very true. Excellent point. Excellent point. Right, so they used a floppy disk to install <laughs> install this virus. I was that like, made my day. It really, I was like, oh, quaint. Hey, well, we watch these older <laughs> movies, and I'm like, oh, that's quaint. That's a weird word to use for some of these movies, but that was one of them. I was like, weren't floppy disks on their way out by then? Yes, yes, they were. Like they were the by after 2000, it was much rarer to find a computer with a floppy disk in it. They were all moving to mm-hmm. CD drives and now we don't even have that, but it's, it was just a interesting little time capsule. Oh yeah. It wasn't even a hard one, right? It, if I remember correctly, no, it was like a, no, a full floppy. No, no. I think it was the hard one. It was the smaller three was and a half. Was it the small three and a half? Yeah. It wasn't the great big remember. seven inch ones, but I remember those too. Oh, I remember those yeah. too. And I remember being really worried I was going to accidentally crease it, make it not, uh-huh. <laughs> not, not usable anymore. The Bobs said there was less of a chance of an incident if they fire someone uh, at the end of a work week. And so I thought, is there a best day to fire somebody? So what did you find? Uh, um, Workopolis had an article that said, not really. There's not really a best day. And they have uh, justifications for just about every day. So Monday is easy for an employee because it's easier for them to make a transition. If they have questions about benefits, can have it during the work week so they can talk to HR about, you know, when they're getting paid, what's going to happen next. They can start looking for a job right away and find, hopefully find other employment relatively quickly if it's done on a Monday. Uh, Tuesday is similar to Monday for the person being fired, but it's a little easier on HR because human okay. resources can go ahead and they can draft up the letters. They can uh, have everything. They have Monday to put everything in place to make the transition go smoothly for both the company and the individual being fired. 
Wednesday is similar. They still have some time to, the employees still have some time to start looking for another job. They're not facing a weekend alone necessarily. They can reach out to their former coworkers. Thursday gives those people a chance to reach out to their boss and talk to their boss on Friday a little bit about what happened and, you know, if they have questions again. And then Friday is really the easiest for the company because it falls at the end of a pay period usually. And it does slightly suggest that there's less a chance of workplace violence. I couldn't find um, anything in particular that really supported that. I did look for some studies that they mentioned, you -hmm. know, which I think was completely made up, but it's really a a Friday firing is uh, easiest for the company, but not necessarily best for the person being fired because they have the whole weekend where they can just stew. They can't really start looking for another Mm -hmm. job yet. They can't, if they have questions, they can't really ask anybody about it. So that's what I found about that. Hmm. Interesting. And then Milton set fire to the building (laughs) um, because desperation really does cause arson. Um, The Washington Examiner had an article just at the beginning of April 2020. (laughs) Internet search queries of how to set a fire are spiking during this economic downturn. Oh, no. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, fraud... And people are trying to figure out how to uh, make ends meet. And sometimes burning down the house or lighting your car on fire seems like a good idea. And I'm here to tell you that's probably not your best choice. Maybe sell the car or the house. Don't light it on fire. Don't, don't do don't, that. Just it's really, a bad idea. Yeah. They did see a spike in some of this in... 2007, 2008, 2009, when we had a similar sort of economic downturn. And they said it actually ended up mostly being cars that people would set on fire because it was easy to say that the cars were stolen and then lit on fire so they wouldn't have to make their car payment anymore. Wow. Yeah. And they said it was less homes. But, um, and then at the end of this article, I have a little, a little bit of a weird, Thing. It's almost like they're giving you advice on <laughs> how to do it properly. <laughs> you don't want it to look like arson. If you're going to set fire to something, you don't want it to look like arson. And then um, this guy said, as one insurance person told me, look, you're insured for stupid. So if that you can claim you're an idiot, the insurance company has to pay you or the insurance company should pay you. And so you have to convince the insurance company that you're an idiot. An interesting quirk with this, though, is so you know there's a high threshold to be convicted of arson. So it's kind of difficult to convict people of arson. And if you look like a moron, then, the, you know, I mean, even if it's a mistake, you're insured for being dumb and for making a mistake. I was like, that's kind of a weird thing to put at the end of the Washington Examiner article is like tips on how to get away with it. (laughs) That is so, I I was going to say funny, but it's not funny. It's just curious. It's a little flabbergasting, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that fire at the end of the movie really seemed to solve all of their problems, right? It, well, it wouldn't today. <laughs> um, probably not, but that's uh, Security Magazine does talk about how important it is to protect your servers and have backups that because mm-hmm. if your servers get destroyed and that's the only place where your data lives, it doesn't matter whether it's a computer virus that destroys it or a fire or your sprinkler systems malfunctioning. That really is a threat to your business and you can really put all of your data at risk. So, yeah, that would be a bad idea. I mean, really had fight club been set back in the 1990s might've worked. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, back up your stuff, back up your servers, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, but they didn't have like a cloud backup no. where this virus just kept running. Right? right. I mean, it's just not like that. Right. Exactly. So it really did solve all their problems because they yeah. didn't have a good backup system. And of course there wasn't really a good backup system. You couldn't back up thousands of terabytes of data. No, it anywhere. Was, that was a server rooms are insane. Yeah. 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 So that was interesting. All right. And that's all I have. Wow. I love this movie. I love this movie too. It's so funny. It is such a timeless and yet a time capsule all in one. Uh-huh. And I just, I think that's amazing. I don't know any other movie that's so timeless and yet such a time capsule. Yeah, it stays so relatable, but is still so of the time that it was made. It's just, it's great. It's delightful. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like Breakfast Club for Gen X. I mean, I don't know. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I could talk about it all day long <laughs> or I could just snort at it all day long. <laughs> I snorted all uh-huh. the movie. Yeah, me too. Me too, because it's great. <laughs> all right. So next time. Next time. We're going to do something a little bit different. There's this new mobile only streaming service called Quibi. And if you sign up for it before the end of April... 2020 you get 90 days for free and it's pretty awesome it's pretty cool and it's mobile only and all the shows are 10 minutes or less and they have as soon as i heard about this i'm like we have got to talk about this murder house flip i have been waiting for this to come out for so so long and i did not know at the time that i heard about it that it was going to come out on quibi no me either and that it would be so like short mm-hmm. you know episodes and i'm really excited about it i was like how are they going to cover an entire renovation project and a murder in 10 minutes well the answer is they don't <laughs> <laughs> they don't that it's they do it in like 16 minutes there's three episodes. We're going to watch the first three episodes because that encompasses a full renovation and talks a little bit about the murder, but I'll do some research and get us more information about the murder that has to do with that. So I think it's going to be really fun. So make sure you sign up for that so that you can, uh, by the time this episode comes out, you only have a couple of days left to do that so go ahead and sign up for it you can cancel it later if it's not something that's interesting to you but i think the first three episodes is totally worth it 
It's super fun. Totally worth it. And I think you'll like the platform. I mean, you have to get over the fact that it's vertical video, which for some people are having like massive issues getting over that. Oh, really? Um, no, it my, was um, my husband. For, oh, really? See, and I put, um, well, I watched the first one and it was, I set it horizontally and it was horizontal video. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like, okay, because I haven't watched it yet, but I watched like, um, well, because there's a lot of, a lot of animal stuff. Uh-huh. And so I've been watching stuff and it's all vertical and um, the okay. news little sections that they have, okay. you can get a morning news and an evening news. Okay. It's all vertical. Okay. But yeah, it, but it's a really neat digestible way to, to have some content and it's really neat. Yeah. 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 It's worth checking out. I mean, for free, check it out and then join us for murder house flip next time. Awesome. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bum, bum, bum. Da 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 da.